This is The Changeup. I'm Keith Hernandez. We took the month off of interviewing in August, and while I was on break, our Austin production team put together two special episodes with some of our incredible past guests to highlight some themes that we saw continuing to come up. This week, we focus on diversity and race. These entrepreneurs have firsthand experience with the disparities within the corporate and business world and offer insight into their own stories and possible solutions. First up, Crown & Hops co-founder Benny Ashburn discusses the lack of diversity in the world of craft beer, but that same situation is found across the corporate world. And if you go to any brewery, when you walk in the door, the brewery usually is a reflection of the owners. It's not to say black and brown people have been purposely excluded from the industry. It's just if white people are the only ones that one, know about craft beer, been to breweries, understand breweries, and they're the only ones opening up these facilities, then of course it's going to look like how they grew up and their culture. And I think that's why it's so important for us as black owners to create more black owners and, you know, and brown owners in the industry so that our creativity and our products all parts of the branding can be truly reflective of what's been missing. And what's been missing has been us. So how do you create these spaces when there are so many obstacles in the way? Winnie Sabat, managing partner of Sabasika Capital, speaks to the harsh realities of inequitable measures of worth within corporate America. So we all know the saying as a POC, like we got to work twice as hard to get a half as much. I think in the VC world, it's probably we got to be five times as good to get one point as much of the wealth distribution or even the access, because that's how it's felt for me and for us at times. That's also why with Sabasika, we've done a lot of different things in a lot of different ways to solidify who we are as a fund. S. Mitra Kalita, founder of URL Media, also speaks to being overlooked despite having the knowledge and experience to fit high-level roles. Like, I think people should still be ambitious and go for the big hire. I also think there's a looking at your own workplace and looking at what conditions exist to both support that person, but also enable who you already have. There's nothing worse than being the account manager who's a black woman watching an organization trip over themselves, trying to hire a VP. And you're just like, hey, I've been here for 10 years. Like, what happened? And it's not just a feeling of being overlooked. The proof is in the pudding. Julie Alexander, the co-founder of Exec Online, breaks down troubling trends with mentorship and selection for special programs. Intentional or not, people of color are often overlooked as leaders select people more similar to themselves, furthering the lack of diversity at top levels. 70% of those high potential programs, high potential leaders have been selected just by one person. That means that the vast majority of people that are considered high potential have really just been selected because their boss thought they were high potential, or maybe they had a mentor who thought that way. Now, when we think about increasing diversity, increasing representation, unfortunately, a lot of times the person that you choose looks quite a lot like you and is very similar to you. So this method of identifying high potentials, we call it the tap on the shoulder issue, has been a real blocker for senior executives, for middle managers, people of color, women. And that's something that online learning and leadership development at scale is absolutely changing. While we have amazing entrepreneurs identifying these issues and workshopping initiatives for change, there's a reason the systems in place are failing their communities. Michelle Hayward, CEO of Positive Hire, has seen firsthand the injustices many of her colleagues face and discusses with us why the programs implemented by businesses are destined to fail in their goal of creating a diverse workplace. Their executive leaders are not going through anti-racism training. 
their escape is we're going to hire a chief diversity officer and they're going to deal with it. They cannot deal with something where they generally are not budgeted enough money, enough resources. They have a team of four people or eight people for an organization that is 25,000 to 100,000 employees globally. It is not possible for them to really make any impactful change. And guess what? When it doesn't work, it is not the CEO's fault. It's not chief human resource officer's fault. It's the chief diversity officer's fault because you didn't make enough out of a dime and a nickel to give us results as though you had a dollar. Employees within companies aren't the only ones calling out these outdated business practices. Consumers have become more aware and informed when it comes to their spending practices and affiliations. Mario Xavier Carrasco, co-founder and principal of Think Now, discusses the shift we've seen culturally with consumers and how this trend can make for positive change. There's been a blending of multicultural marketing and diversity and inclusion from a company perspective. I think consumers are more savvy. Companies are not more savvy, but consumers are more savvy now more than ever and can see through a company that just launches a campaign and doesn't have their house in order from a diversity and inclusion perspective. Change doesn't happen overnight, but strong leaders can inspire the need for it. These entrepreneurs have to step up to the plate, not just as the faces of their companies, but as a motivating force for their employees. Bohan, CEO of Buzzer, discusses being a leader to his employees while creating space to be sensitive of the injustices Americans face every day. But sometimes it's not about being the solution. It's about creating a space where people can learn and be empathetic to one another and really understand, honestly, it's not two Americas. It's the one America that we all live in. We just happen to experience America in 31 different ways. Carlos Aguiar, founder of Mestizo Coffee, expands on Bo's idea of community by talking about the importance of diverse leaders in business and how it trickles down into company culture. Leadership does impact company culture. But I think when you get people of culture working in a place where it's diverse and the leadership itself is diverse. The ownership is diverse. I don't know, bro. It just feels like we don't have to explain a whole bunch of shit that we feel we'd have to explain otherwise. By now we know there's no question of disparities people of color experience day to day in the United States. Many are left wondering how they can help. Michelle Hayward details how what we need right now are co-conspirators, not just allies. Understand that being a nice white person is not the same thing as being an anti-racist. They are not the same thing. And so if you really want to know what that is and how to do it, is really start to self-educate and reading some books like How to Become an Anti-Racist. If you're trying to understand the experience of Black employees in your workplace, you can read Plantation Theory by John Graham. And in John Graham's book, there are questions at the back of his book. This is why I love this book, that depending on the role you have in an organization, you can go through those questions yourself and really just have reflection. Allies too often don't take risks. A co-conspirator and an abolitionist, they're risking their personal brand. They're risking their livelihood. Sometimes they're risking their lives. And if you're not putting any skin in the game, I'm not considering you any of those things. And too often white people identify as allies, but you're not putting anything at risk. Growing up as a minority, seeing a lack of positive representation when it comes to one's culture can be exhausting. Oftentimes to see that change, we need to embody it. 
T.O. Hunter, co-founder of Crown and Hops, discusses why diversifying majority white spaces is so important to the black and brown community. You know, Benny and I take a lot of time. You know, we spend a lot of money, which is another conversation we should probably tap into, which is cultural appropriation to curate our culture in craft beer. You know, because the reality is there have been people in this industry and other industries that have used our cultures and have made legacies for themselves off of it before Black people in America, the descendants of African slaves in this country, have even remotely had an opportunity to capitalize on it. So Benny and I use this, and you'll hear this several times, as an opportunity to showcase Black and brown excellence in a way that hasn't been done before because the resources haven't been. The capital for capital-intensive industries hasn't been there. There are a lot of things that we're able to do with this company other than just make beer. You know, that we are by far bigger than beer. Jack Rico, managing partner at New Majority Ready, furthers the discussion of representation with his own experience of media never reflecting his reality growing up. So when you go to public schools, when your interaction with people are brown and black people, that's the reality of your life. But when that's not reflected necessarily on television or film, which to me are the biggest shapers of perception and studies have talked about that so much, you feel it. You feel it in your self-esteem. You feel it in the way the society perceives you. It's a powerful shaper. And so I think for us is how do we get to the point where we can tell stories that reflect who we are, our skin color, our nuances, our cultural nuances, our language. It's complicated maybe for other people, but my reality has always been that. It can feel difficult to have hope in these violent times. The murder of George Floyd only highlighted an epidemic our country has suffered from for centuries. At times, racism and xenophobia seem to permeate every facet of American life. Many of these founders are exhausted, but there are glimmers of hope when they see the way the communities show up to combat these injustices. This is Alexis Feaster, founder of Kinship Advisors. She worked for six years as director of player development at the NBA and discusses here how athletes have been activated to make change and take action. But something happened last year. There was a shift. I know I felt it. I'm sure you felt it. I think the, the responsibility felt more weighty, especially for Black athletes. So if I'm going to go out and dribble this ball, what else am I going to do to show that my life matters, right? Because that could have been them. And I think that that connectivity, that relatability, especially in the sport of basketball, really hit home. And then also so many people were being murdered in cities right outside of, you know, arena gates and people really felt that responsibility. So I think people are a little bit more activated. Again, what I also saw, especially in the bubble during that time, is that people did not know what to do. And none of us know what to do, right? Like racism is not going away tomorrow, right? But what you can do is you can take collective action. And I think that now that's what you're seeing more of is people are kind of trying to figure out how to get together to take collective action. In the past few years, problems that have gone largely ignored have been brought to light. Now, James Edward Murray, the founder of Therify, discusses mental health and the unique challenges that people of color face when seeking out that help. I think, you know, mental health, emotional health, it's been a deep-seated problem for a long time. But the pandemic, you know, the racial reckoning that we've all gone through in the U.S. in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and so on and so forth, it really just shed light on a broader issue that needed to be addressed. But the challenge that I had, right, was finding a provider who was actually going to be a good fit for me and who understood the cultural nuances of my experience as a Black man. I think I went through, 
maybe seven consultations before I found someone who I felt comfortable with. And I would be in sessions and realize that I just spent an hour explaining what it feels like to be a Black man in America. The burden of educating white communities often falls on minorities. Here's Michael Miraflor, founder of Third City Advisory, discussing how in the face of tragic catastrophes, marginalized groups are often the ones expected to fix the problems hurting their own communities. The thing I hated coming out of George Floyd and also coming out of you know, Stop Asian Hate, it felt like, and I know every business is different, every corporation has its different sort of setups for dealing with this sort of thing, but overwhelmingly it felt like the burden of fixing these systemic problems fell on the shoulders of people who are directly affected. In these times, we need plans of action, which are receptive to feedback and authentic in their practices. Eliana Murillo, CEO of Element Co., has a mission to amplify and invest in diverse small businesses. Here, she discusses building global strategies, which aren't one size fit all. Diverse communities are not the same, right? You can't just cookie cutter an approach. Oh, we did this for the black community. It's going to work for the Latino community. That's not necessarily the case. But more often than not, we have similar challenges. More often than not, there's similar opportunities. And the system of oppression and you know whatever kind of language people want to describe it, it affects a lot of these communities in different ways, but the symptoms come from the same source. So if you're going to do something, be mindful of doing it authentically. With the growth of the multicultural and multiracial community, the new majority is fast-tracked to be people who identify as mixed race. With this new large and growing demographic, Brittany Chavez, founder and CEO of Shop Latinx, discusses the complex intricacies of what being part of the Latinx community means. The Latinx community, I will say that Latinidad is very complicated. It's confusing, right? Because it's a very, in a way, almost diluted term because of how expansive it is. It covers multiple countries. It covers multiple ethnicities, generations, races, you know, even those who identify as Latinx might be under a different archetype than someone who refers to themselves as Hispanic, right? So I think that there are so many nuances. It really takes an expert to understand that, and that expert inherently has to be a part of the community. Finally, here's another quote from Mario X. Carrasco. He discusses the growth of the multicultural community and how Gen Z is the first majority multicultural generation in our country's history. If you look at the fastest growing ethnic group in the U.S., it's not Latinos, it's not Asian, it's not Black, it's multiracial. And who's driving that? Latinos. Latinos are the most likely to be in interracial relationships, have interracial children. And so I think that is super interesting to me, right? Like my kids are interracial, my wife's Sri Lankan. I think about that a lot. Like you know, as a marketer, like to your point, Latinos are complex, multiple different countries of origin, each with their own cultures. And then now you're going to throw in a whole other race and background. I think from a marketing perspective, it's going to be really interesting. And this is being driven, right? Gen Z, Gen Z is already, it's, it's the first majority multicultural generation in our country's history the biggest group being multiracial there. When you look at Gen Alpha, it's going to be even more multiracial. I think it's going to be really interesting from an insights perspective to understand how we identify as situational. Thank you for listening to this week's special episode of The Change Up. One of the goals of this podcast has always been to highlight diverse stories and guests who are making waves and positive change in the business world. If you like what you heard, feel free to listen to these guest stories throughout season one and two. We'll see you soon for season three.